0: It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN on this Monday, and some of us woke up with a little bit of snow on the ground, but it's still going to be very nice as we begin our first week in March and weather, uh, well above average. And uh, speaking of well above average, Shaley Peters is here with us today. How is that for a segue? Holy cow.
1: How about that? <laughs> Just made my Monday, Scott Foster. Well,
0: that's that's what I'm here for. That's what I do. How are you today? What do we got? What do you got for us today?
1: Well, I'm here, and okay. uh, just like any other Monday, we've got a pretty jam-packed midday coming your guys' way. Um, you may recall it's been just a little over a week ago we featured uh, Don Close. He's a Robo AgriFinance mm-hmm. their livestock analyst. He was on talking about some opportunities uh, within between dairy. Our dairy industry and our beef industry. Uh, we've got a follow-up from him today at twelve nineteen, coming on to talk about. Kind of talked about what what situation is they're in, and now we're going to talk about opportunities moving forward with that. Is it's he provided a lot of really good insight to some opportunity there. So he'll be on at 1219 with that. And then Susan Littlefield has our newsmaker today. She, of course, was in uh, San Antonio last week for a Commodity Classic, and she catches up um, on some ASA young leaders from Randolph, Nebraska. So that'll be today's uh, newsmaker. And then Bryce is back in at 117. The Nebraska Soybean Board is seeking individuals to represent fellow soybean farmers for its own board and... It could be any one of our soybean farmer listeners. So he's got more information on that at one seventeen.
0: All right, very good. Thank you very much, Shaley. Well above average. You bet. Good work. Thank
1: you. Well, would
0: you expect any? No, from no, your absolutely farming? not. No, no, <laughs> All right, thanks, Shailen. We turn it over a little stuff to follow. Thank no, you. I'll, I'll you admit know.
2: it. would go from above average to below average. Right. It's Big fine. jump. It's Let's just that. be honest,
0: here. It's the meaty part of the curve. It's really what we're going for. Kind of disturbing news coming out of uh, Husker football today. Well,
2: kind of. Yeah, I uh, I
0: don't know. We
2: don't really understand. There's a lot of roster changes if you haven't been following the Huskers team in the last week or two, especially at uh, kicking. So, if anyone has a really good leg and some uh, eligibility left, you know, there might be tryouts as uh, kickers have been leaving the squad. Barry Pickering, uh, he is, uh, along with Javon McQuitty, also, they have both planned on retiring from football, Mm -hmm. not just uh, transferring. They're retiring as Mm -hmm. they are pursuing medical exemptions. But a new one today is. Senior receiver J.D. Spielman is away from the football team uh, temporarily and at a home with family in Minnesota. Uh, Spielman is unlikely to take part in spring football. So while we hope we don't really know what that means at this time, but uh, obviously you hope whatever it is, he gets better and is able to rejoin the football team. But uh, right now he is away from the football team uh, for uh, personal reasons.
0: And Frost said that uh, that we do anticipate is what they he said we anticipate JD returning to the team in time for summer conditioning. So, what's ever going on there? We hope that uh, it works out.
2: Yeah, not good. Hopefully, things get uh, you know spring football coming up here in a little bit as well. Also, the Husker men's basketball team continue to struggle following an overtime yesterday to Northwestern, eighty-one to 76 We'll preview that and chance to get eight wins is going to be tough this year.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. We'll hear more from Jason a little bit later. Quickly, Bob. Uh, looks like we're. <laughs> recovering just a little bit in the stocks
3: stocks are looking a little bit better today but it uh, really doesn't know it doesn't matter whether they're up or down it's where they end up and that's where we're going to be focusing on and four people being monitored for the uh, coronavirus in omaha have been released
4: all right very good that's all coming up on
5: Covering agriculture is a big commitment.
4: When KRVN takes you on the road for agriculture, you might
5: hear us reporting across town, across the country, or across the ocean.
4: We think our equally committed on-the-road sponsors, the Nebraska Corn Board, Nebraska Land National Bank,
5: and the Nebraska Soybean Board, powering our Ag News travel aboard the KRVN soy biodiesel pickup.
4: On the road for agriculture.
5: Because it's a big
4: story.
0: Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with us. And uh, boy, I tell you, it's start to a pretty nice week coming up yeah
6: exactly today when you look at the whole week here is going to be our coldest day of the next seven days Hmm. and we're still going to be slightly above normal on temperatures so you can't argue with that
0: man and it's (laughs) just i just keep waiting paul because and we've got state basketball coming Uh up now so so that makes me think next week's just going to be awful, but uh, <laughs> it's possible, I guess, to have two nice state basketball weeks. Exactly.
6: Weekends. At least this one looks pretty yeah, good. We got one
0: that so, looks okay. So, so.
6: We'll, so, so we'll have to see if that shoe drops next week for the boys' uh, tournament. Exactly. Right now, we do have some stubborn clouds kind of right over central areas of Nebraska. A lot of this cloud cover from about Lexington on over to Seward and then points to the north and south. Also, some. Patchy clouds in west central areas of Nebraska, north and south of the North Platte area, and also over much of northern Kansas. That is holding down the temperatures in these cloud covered areas in the mid to upper 30s, but temperatures more so in the low 40s, where we're seeing a little more sunshine towards northwestern areas of Nebraska from about Ainsworth to Thedford and Ogallala into northeast Colorado, and also over much of eastern Nebraska. We did have a little bit of snow move through last night, but luckily it just accumulated on grassy areas and didn't cause too much in the way of driving problems. We will see increasing amounts of sunshine for today. Some westerly winds as high pressure does slide off towards the east. Temperatures today the coolest of the next seven, but still they will be slightly above average. So it only gets better from here. Winds die down tonight, but a light westerly wind will keep our temperatures from falling off too much. Dry weather with above-normal temperatures will continue tomorrow through the weekend as it gets warmer. A weak ridge of high pressure will result in highs right around 60 for tomorrow and Wednesday. Near-critical fire weather is possible for tomorrow with lower humidity and slightly breezy winds. A storm tracking to our north Thursday and Friday will usher in a slight cool-down, but just a slight cool-down to the 50s for Thursday and Friday. The weekends, once again, setting up to be very nice again with the ridge of high pressure and this weekend we're expecting to see those highs push well into the 60s and even a few 70s a chance of rain may start to arrive with our next cold front on sunday night in the latest long-term forecast temperatures for nebraska and kansas likely to be warmer than normal this weekend through march 15th and it's pretty good odds on that so can you say maybe i hate to jinx this could we be looking at an early spring I don't want to jinx it, though.
0: Nope, not going to say it.
6: But right now, anyway, the long-term forecast, above-normal temperatures this weekend through March 15th. Outlook expects above-normal precipitation this weekend through the 15th for both Nebraska and Kansas. The soil temperatures four inches down at seven this morning in nearly home, Nebraska, just above freezing at 33. For the northwest half of Kansas, soil temperatures were in the mid to upper 30s, across the southeast half in the low 40s. Key weather factors in the market include dry conditions in much of South America and additional precipitation in the eastern Midwest and Delta. This week's most consequential storm will reach the western Gulf Coast by midweek and produce some soaking rain in parts of the southeast U.S. Five day precipitation totals could reach an inch or two in Texas and two to four inches or more in the southeast. In the Midwest, the forecast the next 10 days features light precipitation in the western Midwest and then moderate to locally heavy amounts in the eastern Midwest. The western Midwest soil is becoming less saturated while eastern areas will have very limited drying and that will maintain concern for delays in field work. A return to harvest may be possible for some of the northern plains, but very wet soil will continue in areas that still need to be harvested. The Delta will see several rounds of precipitation through Thursday to keep their soils wet and limit the field work. Another strong storm could bring additional heavy rain to the Delta next week. Brazil's crop weather includes rain in the northeast and drier conditions elsewhere this next week. Dry conditions in central Brazil favor the soybean harvest, but additional moisture is needed to maintain growth and development of second crop corn. Argentina still dry with a higher risk of stress to corn and soybeans now in the filling stage. The stress will also increase from it turning very warm to hot. Isolated showers start to become more possible in Argentina by the end of the week on Friday.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you know, certainly uh, we're going to start seeing things. Uh, this weather keeps up. They're going be, some stuff's going to start blooming. We're going to see tulips coming up and stuff like that. Yeah,
6: you know, and I'm Clay and I were talking about it. seeing some blades of green in yeah. our grass. You know, and that's a, the soil temperatures right about thirty three in Nebraska. So, and that's at the coldest time of the day at seven in the morning. So, mm-hmm. okay. so let's hope it keeps going.
0: You know, we're just haunted by <laughs> ghosts of springtime past. Exactly, that just don't make you believe it. All right, thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather?
6: WeatherCamKRVN.com. District.
7: On air, online, and now in your inbox. Subscribe to the Rural Radio Network newsletter to receive the latest agriculture news, market information, and weather forecasts. Information to help you make decisions for your operation. Subscribe by clicking Newsletter under News Tab at krvn.com.
1: Continuing to look at the impact of beef on dairy calves on the beef industry. I'm Shaley Peters, back with you on the Rural Radio Network. We had a chance to catch up with Don Close. He is the Senior Livestock Analyst for Rabo Agrofinance. And we talked to Don not that long ago about beef on dairy calves in the beef industry. Today, we're going to follow up and find out what exactly he thinks the opportunity is moving forward.
8: Great question. You know... <clears throat> We know that there are roughly, or we can calculate that there are roughly 2 million dairy cross calves somewhere in the beef supply chain today. What we did with this program is we took the, the 9.3 million dairy cows, we looked at the size of, or the or dairies by size, and we and we drew a line at uh, cows or dairies with with 500 head and up, and, and those are the cattle we included in this program. It's The dairy's 500 head and less, they certainly have the capability to use beef on dairy. But we left them out specifically that those smaller dairies did not have the, number, the calf turnover rate to really be appealing to a large commercial cattle feeding entity. So if we, if we drew that line at 500, dairies of 500 cows, that cuts that number of dairy cows down to 6.5 million. We then took 30% off for replacements, we took an additional fifteen percent for open cows, calf death loss, all those problems. So there's a culmination of forty-five percent. So we take fifty-five percent of the six and a half million and we really we've got about three and a half million of these cattle that will be available at maximum. What, what, how we've answered the, the question of how fast are these cattle being folded into the beef supply chain? and I think, again, we will be very, very surprised at how many of them are in the system by the end of 2020, but we think within three to five years, we could see almost a full adaptation of this program.
1: Alright, anything additionally as you guys continue to watch this, Don?
8: The, the issues with pricing, and, and we've seen some differences between the, the cattle feeders and the dairies on, on the pricing point the first a lot of the dairies are requesting the simplicity of look i don't want to worry about a steer cap value a heifer calf value i want a bid per head the beef, the beef side or or that integrator in between what's it look i can bid you that way but you're forcing me to accept more risk if you do that it will be reflected in the per head price i'm bidding so that's an issue On the steer calves, I think it's pretty easy for both sides to reach an idea of the value of that animal because they simply take the, the anticipated value of the fed steer, back out the feed cost, back out the time value of money, and that gives you a pretty good handle, okay, you can pay this much for him today. On the heifer side, beef producers have always had the mentality that if they have a steer calf born, they get a premium. If they have a heifer calf born, they're going to take a discount. The dairy is just the opposite. The dairy looks at when he has a male calf born, he says, I've got a liability on my hands. If I have a heifer calf hit the ground, I just won the lottery. As simple as that sounds, I think that has been a real hurdle for those to both sides to find a value on the female calves. I don't think it's insurmountable but I just think it's one of those oddities that comes along that they're going to have to work through.
1: Find all of Don's comments on this by visiting ruralradio.com under the podcast section. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
0: Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, a stone-cold
7: day at the line proved to be Nebraska's undoing as the Huskers lost again, this time losing at home on overtime to Northwestern, 81-76. Nebraska went an unbelievable 8-of-30 from the charity stripe, and head coach Fred Hoiberg was kind of at a loss as to what happened. Yeah, well, 8 for 30 in the 21 turnovers, yeah. that's you know, uncharacteristic for us. That's one thing we have done a pretty solid job of all years taking care of the basketball and, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, picked a bad day to turn the ball over and, you know, you make, Forty percent of your free throws, you 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 win that. You know, you win the game. Hannib Cheatham had a nice day on Senior Day with twenty points, but the Huskers still haven't won since early January. They return to action on Thursday night when they're on the road against Michigan. Creighton has become the fifth top-ten team to lose since Monday. Greg Williams Jr. poured in a career-high 21 points and seven three-pointers as St. John's stunned the 10th-ranked Blue Jays 91-71. to St. John's actually entered that game as one of the worst three-point shooting teams before going a season-best 14 of 22 from a long range and its biggest victory in a first-year head coach, Mike Anderson. Damian Jefferson equaled a career-best with 20 for the Jays, who had won five straight and nine of ten. Well, the Nebraska baseball team's offense exploded yesterday for 17 hits and five home runs as they overcame a five nothing deficit to knock off 12th ranked Arizona State, 18 to 10 in the series finale at Phoenix. The Huskers had gone into that game losing seven in a row,
4: and head coach Will Bolt says this one feels pretty good. Uh, awfully proud of the guys for just you know bouncing back after you know the long losing streak and then getting down five nothing. I mean, it, it could have easily gone the other direction, but uh, you know the the character that, that we knew we had on this team, it did showed up today.
7: The Huskers return to action this weekend when they open up their home schedule with a four-game series against Columbia. That one starts on Friday afternoon at one thirty-five. The 6th-ranked UNK wrestling team won the NCAA Super Region 6 championships on Saturday and in the process qualified seven for the NCAA's big national tournament. That event will take place in Sioux Falls March 13th and 14th. That is a look at sports. For more, you can check that out anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen.
9: Mid-Plains Community College will break ground on its Imperial Campus expansion March 13th from noon to 1 p.m. in Imperial. The public is invited and refreshments will be provided. Over the years, a rise in student enrollment coupled with increased partnerships with local businesses and industries has resulted in a need for additional space. Plans are to construct an approximately 2,500 square foot addition on the north end of the existing building. Two new classrooms and a multi-purpose room will be added, as will new restrooms, a mechanical room, and a storage room. The south end of the building will be remodeled to include a simulation lab. The cost of the project is estimated at $1.5 million. The goal is to complete the expansion by the summer of 2021. Four of the Americans who were exposed to a new virus on a cruise ship in Japan and were being monitored at an Omaha hospital have been released from quarantine. The University of Nebraska Medical Center says two of them never tested positive for the new coronavirus and were cleared for release on Monday. Two others left quarantine on Sunday after testing negative. Eleven more people who were evacuated from the Diamond Princess two weeks ago all tested positive for COVID-19. They will have to test negative three times 24 hours apart before they can leave quarantine. A week ago, at the annual Lexington Area Chamber of Commerce Banquet, the presidential gavel was passed from outgoing President Sarah Nieben to incoming President Barry McFarland. McFarland is partner and co-owner of Max Creek Winery in Lexington. During the banquet, McFarland highlighted he and the board's 2020 strategic plan, which includes promotion of Lexington and growth of the chamber membership. McFarland is excited for his new role in the coming year and hopes to draw off his lifetime in Lexington.
10: It's been wonderful to, to grow up here, to see it, it evolve to what it is today, to look at, at where we've been and where we're headed and, and all the people that are involved to make that happen because the best part of this community is they really understand that we have to do it together. We can't do it alone. And so that, that's probably the best part of, of what we do here in Lexington. We understand that together we are stronger than we are individually.
9: McFarland encourages any business that isn't a Chamber member to join and see firsthand how the Chamber can help every business. Stocks are rising sharply on Wall Street Monday, as the market claws back a small part of the losses it took in a seven-day rout, brought on by worries that the coronavirus outbreak will stunt the global economy. Technology stocks are leading the gains, U.S. stocks are coming off their worst weekly drop since the financial crisis of 2008. The Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed 740 points, or 2.9 percent. The S&P 500 Index rose 2.7 percent, and the NASDAQ gained 2.8 percent. Bond prices rose again, sending yields lower. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson.
5: Talking deadlines during Commodity Classic. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Caught up with Undersecretary of Farm Production and Conservation for the USDA, Bill Northey, as he spent time
10: on the trade show floor. We do, Susan. So, uh, certainly first deadline is, uh, in the next couple days here. We're talking on Thursday and, and, uh, Friday, um, the 28th of February is the last day for sign up for the, for the general enrollment CRP. So, uh, if you haven't done that yet, give your office a call. Tell them that you want an appointment. You want to do that. We can certainly finish up. Uh, folks that are on a register, but you need to have an appointment, uh, to be able to be on that register and, and the conversation could happen next week, but, uh, sign up does close on Friday.
5: Speaking of conversations, what a great place as Commodity Classic to have great conversations with all these ag producers. Isn't it
10: though? Um... I I got a history of coming actually I was president of Corn Growers back uh, 25 years ago 24 years ago when this all when this all came together as Commodity Classic um and so it's been uh, fun to be able to run into a lot of folks that I've known in the hallways and then get a chance I've gotten a chance to be able to be in front of uh, some of the uh, the the organizations caucuses and gatherings and be able to answer some questions and hear their concerns and so it's just a a wonderful place for us to be to be able to hear what's going on and the things that we need to be working on.
5: You have a different role obviously now as Under Secretary but you still carry a very important role and that's farmer. So you can very much relate to them as they they bring you their questions and concerns.
10: I do I actually just ran into somebody from about 10 miles from from my home uh, in this group of uh, 10,000 folks that are here um, and uh, they said they have come every year once they started to come. They came eight years ago uh, and one of the things that they love about this event is everyone they talk to is a farmer. Um, and I think it's an advantage for some of us at USDA to have that farmer experience. All my administrators, administrator of FSA, RMA, and the chief of NRCS are all farmers. Uh, so they have some familiarity. We all know we don't know everything about farming everywhere in the country. But we know something, and we can ask questions, and we can engage, and we know partly what drives farmers and what's important to them, the the legacy that they feel and they carry, the legacy that they want to give to the rest of their family, how much they care for the land, um, and certainly how challenging it is to be a producer in years like 2019 um, and with the uncertainty that's out there market-wise as well.
5: ARC PLC, I'm sure you're going to have those conversations as well.
10: We sure have, Susan. So, you know, I think uh, ARC PLC sign-up ends the 16th of March. Uh, we want to encourage everybody. We've got a lot of folks that have signed up uh, so far, but there's still a lot of folks that are still either making their decisions or getting their signatures in. Um, we we plan for that to end on the 16th of march and so again get your appointments made if you haven't done that get your selections made if you don't get signed up uh this year then you will not be eligible for an arc plc or plc payment for 2019 so it's important to be able to get that done in the next couple of weeks
5: There's a little bit of confusion. I kind of wanted you to to talk a little bit about it. We saw a tweet that came out from the president last week that said that there was going to be some more assistance coming to our producers as we continue with this whole trade issue. And then we have the Ag Secretary saying, well, probably not. So kind of give an explanation of what you guys are being told. So
10: I think, first of all, we're in a lot better place trade-wise than what we were uh, two months ago, three months ago, um, now having an opportunity to be able to trade again with China. We see China reducing some of their tariffs on some products to get those products in. Of course, we have this uncertainty around coronavirus and what that does to trade. But but the overall trade situation's a lot better. Our hope is, uh, our expectations are. That we'll be at a place where we don't need another MFP because the markets will reflect um, and we'll have trade going again. Trade, not aid. Let's get to that place. Now, the president's tweet said, if we're not at a place where trade is back going the way that it needs to, then we'll evaluate and see if there needs to be a third MFP. Uh, Right now, I'd certainly encourage all producers to plant for the market. Expect that the market's going to give you those rewards. Don't plan on an MFP. Um, but the markets are really not showing some of that benefit from trade yet, and so we have some producers that are anxious. uh, If there's not trade or aid, uh, there's a concern, Uh, and the president has recognized that uh, farmers are impacted by trade, uh, and we sometimes need to be able to support to be able to get through that. In the last two years, that's been to the tune of tens of billions of dollars of support uh, because that's what the impact has been to agriculture so we'll certainly look at it later this year hopefully we'll be at a trade environment and nobody will be anxious for an mfp payment but if we are at the place where we need to evaluate that uh, we'll certainly look at that
5: well mr Undersecretary, i appreciate your time is there anything else you wanted to add no
10: nope, thank you susan um, it just is great to be around farmers uh, what a challenging year they went through this last year we all hope We're much more normal weather situation um, for this next year. A lot of moisture to come down some of these rivers yet.
5: And the undersecretary said even with the concerns about flooding for some, he continued to hear a lot of optimism. At Commodity Classic in San Antonio, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
0: it's time for a business report here on Caribbean during our midday, 1253 on this Monday, and stocks certainly look a lot better today than they did all of last week, and one of the worst weeks, well, the worst week since 2008, since the Great Recession there. The Japanese Nikkei in the overnight was up 203 points, Hong Kong's Hong Seng was up 162 London's FTSE was up 75, and the German DAX index was down 32. So that's the only outlier of the bunch. The 10-year yield continues to be down quite a bit here in the United States, down nearly 4%. However, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 722 points, and NASDAQ up 169. And the Standard & Poor is up 59. So that puts the Dow Jones back over the 26,000 Mark. Can we turn it over to Bob Brogan for more?
3: Stocks rising sharply on Wall Street as the market is clawing back a small part of the losses it took in a seven-day route brought about by worries that the coronavirus outbreak will stunt the global economy. Technology stocks are leading the gains, so that's something positive for, for the markets today. And in the meantime, we're seeing spending on U.S. construction projects rose to an all-time high in January, helped by strong gains for home construction and government building projects. The Commerce Department says construction spending increased 1.8% in January, the strongest monthly rise in nearly two years, pushing total spending to a record seasonally adjusted annual rate of $1.37 trillion. American factories expanded in February for the second straight month, despite disruptions caused by the coronavirus outbreak. The Institute for Supply Management and Association of Purchasing Managers says its manufacturing index registered 50.1 last month. Month That is down from 50.9 in January. Worries about the new virus that's infected tens of thousands of people globally, are making a mark on the economy of a nine-state region on the Midwest and Plains. A new survey report says the Mid-American Business Conditions Index sank in February to 52.8 from 57.2 in January. Creighton University economist Ernie Goss oversees the survey, and he says the softer reading and the economic harm from the virus should concern policymakers. And also, uh, four of the Americans who were exposed to the virus on a cruise ship in Japan and were being monitored at an Omaha hospital have been released from quarantine. So those folks uh, have been allowed to leave, and uh, they were greeted by cheers and applause today at the uh, medical center in Omaha. So those are kind of some good things that are going on, along with uh, you know the fact that there's concern about the coronavirus.
0: Well, as a man who, uh, like you, that's often greeted with cheers and applause wherever you go, uh, you know what a good feeling that can be.
3: Gosh, I don't know what to say to that, but I I hope that uh, that works out for you.
0: (laughs) Oil prices were up to, uh, just up to $46 a barrel. That's our business report here on Midday.
11: The Nebraska Soybean Board seeks leaders to represent the state's soybean farmers. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Dueskitt reporting. The Nebraska Soybean Board is seeking individuals to represent the fellow soybean farmers as well as the entire industry as they take nominations for the board. Victor Buslowski, the executive director of the Nebraska Soybean Board, recently stopped by the studio to share the details of the
12: openings. In Nebraska, uh, the soybean board is made up of nine members. And three of those uh, districts uh, are up for election each year. And so the producer that sits on those boards will serve a three-year term. And this year, the at-large position, which means anyone across the state of Nebraska can uh, be uh, eligible for that. And the other two positions are in District 5 and in District 7. Uh, District 5 are the counties of Cass, Johnson, Lancaster, Nemaha, Odo, Pawnee, and Richardson. And District 7, uh, those counties are Adam, Buffalo, Clay, Franklin, Hall, Kearney, Knuckles, and Webster. And producers in those districts uh, have to call our office and ask for a petition uh, that they would carry and get 50 to 60 signatures of soybean farmers in their district and then that's back, due back into our office on April 15. And at that time, uh, a check of the validation of the signatures is done. And, uh, those people that have 50 good signatures or more, uh, are placed on a ballot that is mailed out to the producers in that district on July 15. And that, then that election closes on July 31. And so then, a third party is the one that's involved in the tabulation um, of those results. And uh, then it's declared the winners and who will be the the next um, uh, soybean director or board member uh, that starts on October 1st. And so our office number is uh, 402-441-3240 and ask for Victor or if you can catch me on the road, it's 402 432 Five seven two zero.
11: Similar question about uh, the Nebraska Soviet Board in terms of the scope of their responsibility. I assume it's uh, a lot of supervising the projects that the Nebraska Soviet Board is invested in.
12: Yes, and and that's the board meets uh, five times a year, and they review projects that are going on, and they review new things that they can be involved in. They have about a six million dollar budget, uh, which is uh, invested into research and promotional and educational, as well as uh, marketing opportunities. And when I say marketing, we do both internationally and domestically. And uh, domestic marketing is is a big, important thing for uh, the Nebraska Soybean Board, especially when we talk about the biodiesel industry.
11: What's the importance of farmers stepping up to serve on these boards and to be able to supervise
12: those projects and the overall budgets? Uh, the importance of this is is that they have an opportunity to be a part of the decision making process, and that's important for uh, soybean farmers to serve and understand where the investments are made and what new things are coming down the line for the use of their soybeans that they raise. The whole goal of the soybean checkoff program is to make sure that we can have a big enough market to consume all of the soybean that the soybean farmers want to produce.
11: That again, Victor Buslowski, the Executive Director of the Nebraska Soybean Board. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff,
4: I'm Bryce Dueskitt reporting. play Pat on the Rural Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we get our grain settlements in, Chicago week the only one not able to jump up and get to the green here by the close. So can we continue to feed the bull tomorrow?
13: Oh, I think so. I mean, this is a pretty good day here. Feed grains, uh, feed markets in general are, uh, you know, perking up here on some rumors that China's going to be in the market for sorghum, corn, soybeans, and ethanol. Those are The latter three are really important, in my opinion, ethanol specifically. As you know, if I've been talking about this for a long time, that if we can get ethanol involved here, that might support demand even on a little bit of a summer rally here. So, short term, we're through delivery. I get the green light on my screen to go ahead and buy. I think the markets are. You know, well supported here in the near term. Uh wouldn't rule out a uh, a quick turnaround Tuesday tomorrow, just maybe go back down to the lows, but um, I don't think we're gonna see much pressure below uh where we just went off the books, just considering that May fe- March futures which are now in delivery are trading right above May. Uh so we've got an inverted market with cash prices very, very solid and uh, you know, at this point I think you're gonna see you know, three eighty five, three ninety on the May futures. Maybe bring December back up to that that high three eighty, low three ninety price point. That's where it gets a little more difficult. And I think you kind of take your cue to wheat. If wheat can rally, specifically KC, then I think corn has some life here.
4: Looking forward to next week. We've got the WASDE coming up. Are traders going to be wanting to build in long positions ahead of that report, where we don't know how USDA is going to handle possible Chinese demand?
13: Yeah, I don't. I don't think buying any more ahead than than you did in the last report would be would be uh, what I would advise. I think in, in my opinion here, you're better off waiting, wait for that contract uh, to buy ahead of the, the March grain stocks report. So if the markets would rally here, I think there is there is some upside on uh, into that grain stocks. I think that's where we could see some poor uh, crop quality, quality yield from the last report show up. I don't think it'll happen in the WASDE, but uh, at this point Really physical buying, making purchases, flash sales would be much more important than any type of uh, projected buy, given that they already increased it pretty, pretty drastically in the, um, in the ag forum numbers. So we just want to see some validation now, some real purchases, and we haven't seen those yet. So uh, the rumors say that China is going to start uh, issuing import licenses, and uh, once they do that, then you should start to see those flash purchases. So that's all we're waiting for.
4: You've been talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. You can learn more at danielsagmarketing.com. Again, danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Please consider those risks before investing. In the green on the screen here by the close, we see that December new crop, corn, 380 and 3 quarters up, 3 and 3 quarters. November new crop, soybeans, 917 and 3 quarters up, 9 and a half. July new crop, KC wheat up, 4 at 464 and a quarter. And that's going to do it for
0: our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts at krvn.com. Brought to you by Divini Motors.
10: Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.